All right. There's a chance someone put a quarter in me, and I may go a little over today. <laughs> but last week, I took us through 13 chapters of Genesis and ended on time. So miracles are possible. You witnessed one if you were in church last week. And uh, so I'm excited for a miracle today as we continue in our series talking about heroes. And uh, it's amazing what we think of when we think of a hero. Sometimes a hero is someone who throws a ball through a hoop, right? Sometimes a hero is someone who stands up for somebody else. And sometimes a hero is a sandwich. So we have a hard time defining hero in our culture. When we use the word hero, we mean sometimes a lot of different things. And as a result, I think we lose the awe and wonder of some of the heroes of our lives and some of the heroes of God's story. And sometimes we find that folks that we see as heroes in the moment didn't realize what they were doing was heroic at all. And last week we talked about Joseph and this incredible vantage point that he was able to hold through incredible trials and that in the midst of all of those things happening to him, his heroic nature of simply saying, God is in control no matter what my circumstance is, literally changed the course of history. And today we're gonna walk into a story. Um, for time's sake, I'm gonna run into this story about a woman. Now I gotta be honest with you. I've never preached her story before. As I was preparing and putting this together, I've talked about her, I've read about her, I've done devotions and written about her, but I've never had a chance to preach her story before. And the more I got into her story, the more amazing it became to me. And we're gonna talk about a woman named Rahab. Now, when I say Rahab, she has a title that follows her around. And most of you who grew up in church, when I say her name, you have Rahab the something, yeah, the harlot in your head. And you're saying, well, Pastor Mike, we're, we're talking about heroes today and you're talking about harlots. And I'm saying, yeah, absolutely. So what I thought I'd do today before I walk us into her story is I would let her introduce herself to us. And so would you guys uh, help me? And uh, let's welcome Rahab. I've always been a rule breaker. When I was a little girl, I had tons of brothers and sisters. So breaking the rules sometimes was the only way I could get attention from my dad. My dad had a special trait for each one of us. One of my sisters was the smart one. One of my sisters was the sweet, honest one. I was the beautiful one. And while that might seem charming, my dad didn't seem to see me as anything else. So growing up, having beauty spoken over me and nothing else, I thought that's all I was. I got older, and I figured out I had to find a way to make that work for me. So I found a way to make that work for me. Found a way to survive off of the only trait that I thought I had, because I thought I was nothing else. <laughs> I uh, eventually realized that I did have better qualities. I didn't have to live that life. I, 
I tried to get out of it. But the problem was is that I was already known as Rahab the harlot. That's all I was known as. I was pegged. I was stereotyped. How can society expect me to be anything but what they called me? Even if I was trying to get myself out of it, that's what they called me. That's what they knew me as. They didn't know me as a woman who sold flax. I ran an inn. I wasn't Rahab the innkeeper. (laughs) I was a whore. You know how hard it is to break out of something when that's all you're known as? As I got a little bit older, something started to change. Um, There were rumors going around the city of this group of people. And I started hearing things about their God. And I started hearing about the miracles that their God was performing. And I mean, there was this one, this one really got me. He had split the Red Sea. He'd made the water turn into walls so that they could cross it. Like, how incredible is that? And I remember thinking, if, if this God, this one God that they had, could change the flow of the Red Sea, maybe he could change my name. Fear started growing within the city, and honestly, I kind of liked that. I kind of liked that within their city walls, they didn't feel safe anymore, because guess what? I didn't feel safe within those city walls. One night, these two gentlemen came into my inn, and I knew from the moment they stepped foot inside that they were different. The reason I knew that they were different was because they gave me eye contact. When I would walk down the streets, people wouldn't look at me. They dismissed me. I was disposable to them. But these gentlemen, they looked at me. They shook my hand. They didn't look at me because I was beautiful. They called me Rahab. That's it. They didn't know me as Rahab the harlot like everybody else. But more than anything else, they were kind to me. Kind. So when the king's men came and knocked on my door and told me that they were spies, and I figured out who they were and where they'd come from, yeah, I lied. I protected them. I didn't betray them. They'd shown me kindness. And after all, I've always been a rule breaker. Amen. Thank you. Am I in a room of any rule breakers today? Maybe a couple, huh? All right, I won't make us stand up or anything. Rahab's story is one of incredible redemption. The thing about Rahab that strikes me as so powerful is this incredible idea that in a moment, in one decision, everything can change. The course of your life, your destiny, Your story all hinges on a moment, on a decision, on a, on on that kind of picture. How crazy is that? I was thinking about God and how he's always been in the redemption business. 
He's always been in the redemption business. I remember my own story just thinking about the course and direction of my life. And as I look at what God's done, I can only say he's in the redemption business. I've been face-to-face with individuals. I remember sitting with a teenager a few years back who had just been dumped by a girl and was in a place, a dark place. I don't know if you ever met a teenager who's been dumped. He uh, was in a dark place. And I can remember him sitting there in a moment trying to process where his value was now and what he would do now. And I could remember the moment when this picture of this idea that he might still have value beyond this moment connected to him. And it was like the lights just came on. God's always been in the redemption business. I've seen folks in a moment, in one decision, run so far from their destiny. And I've seen people run towards their destiny in a moment, in a decision. God's a redeemer. So I want to walk us through this story of Rahab quickly because I love the picture of what's happening here. If you have your Bibles, you can join me in Joshua chapter 2. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk us through some of this story. Uh, I'm going to jump from here to Hebrews 11, and I'm going to land in Matthew chapter 1. So if you want the cliff notes or if you want to check out and just listen to it later, you'll know where to go. I'm in Joshua chapter 2. And it says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. I was struck as I began to study this by the fact that Joshua sent two spies and two spies only. You see, 40 years before, Moses had sent some spies into the land. He sent 12, if you know the story. And only two of them brought back a good report. The other 10 were so overwhelmed with fear at the uh, insane task ahead of them to go into this land and conquer it, that that fear matriculated into the camp and eventually was the catalyst for an entire nation spending 40 years wandering in the desert instead of moving into their promised land. That's the power that fear has to change a narrative. But you see, God's always been in the redemption business. Joshua's aware that more than two folks is going to make a mess of this. I'm just saying. <laughs> so he picks two guys. We don't get to know their names, but we do know that there's some courage in them because they walk right into the enemy's camp. It's amazing what God can do with a couple guys with some courage. They walk into Jericho. Now, many of us have heard the story of Jericho. We may not know Rahab's story, but we know the story of Jericho. We know that there is a, a, an epic non-battle about to happen. One of the most insane military strategies of all time is going to be deployed in the next five chapters. God is going to speak to the, uh, the Israelites and to Joshua specifically, and he's going to say, here's your strategy, because this fortified city has big walls, and you don't have tanks. You're a desert nomadic people right now. You don't have the kind of technology to take down a city with fortified walls. But what you do have is the God of the universe. And so what you're going to do is march around these walls until I do a miracle. So we know that part of the story is coming. So Joshua, being a military strategist, sends in these two men, and they show up. 
Now, the fact that they stuck, they stuck around at Rahab's house was always strange to me in just the picture of things. Why go to a house of ill repute? Why go to Rahab? And then I realized as I read through the story, Rahab's house is literally in the wall of the city. Her house is part of the wall. It is a strategic location. Here's another thing. Why have a, ha wall, a house in the wall of the city? Well, if you have a house of ill repute, and travelers are coming in, where is the first stop for lots of these fellows? A house like Rahab's. And so it makes sense if they're trying to blend in as travelers that they go to this house and they find this woman named Rahab. It's crazy to me too that Rahab is such an entrepreneur. We find out through this story, not only has Rahab uh, had a very successful, apparently, um, harlot business, uh, she's an innkeeper, she puts people up for the night, and she has a flax business. Now, I had to figure out what a flax business was, because I'm not handy. Essentially, she made hemp garments. I was like, okay. So she wears hemp. She kind of lives at the edge of the city. She runs in a house of ill repute. But she's from Seattle. I know this woman. I have finally figured out Rahab. She's an entrepreneur. Come on now. Verse 2. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of these Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. Verse 6, but she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone, the gate was shut. Can we have an honest moment here? We call her Rahab the harlot, but essentially she's also Rahab the liar. Right? I mean, this is a pretty good sleight of hand misdirection moment. These folks come to her and they're like, hey, where's the dudes? And she's like, ah, uh, that way. They're like, okay, and they go that way. But that's not where they are. I am struck by the profound, profound honesty of who she is in this moment. She is known for things that no one wants to be known for. She is willing on a dime to begin to change the narrative from truth to fiction. But then I was struck by this idea, we have to understand the context of this lie. Here's where this, here's where this really just hit me. Because I'm looking at this and I'm going, okay, God, how do we justify the lie? That's a hard thing. I can, I can move through everything else, but how do we justify the lie? Because if there's a way to justify a lie, that just opened a whole new world of possibilities for me. So, so how do we figure this out? And then we look at this context and you realize, here's what struck me. When people, for the cause of Christ and life, protect someone, even when it's done with a lie, we don't call them liars, we call them heroes. Here's how I know. Let's go back through history. How about World War II? 
How about an entire group of people on the run and a group of people mercilessly enslaving and attacking and killing them? And we have stories of heroes who hid them in their homes and said, no one's here. No one's here. And we don't call those people liars. We call them heroes. When the cause of God is greater than the threat of the moment, we always choose the cause of God. I know that's sticky and some of you are like, "Ah, I think you just said I could lie, Pastor. I'm just telling you what the scripture says. Right? And as a matter of fact, later on, when we get to the hall of faith and to James, that lie is going to be called faith by the authors of scripture. Faith that's standing with God's people and protecting the sovereignty of their lives was important. It's pretty powerful. Just saying, it's in here, so I got to talk about it. (laughs) Verse 8. It says, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, Now, this is powerful. Look at this declaration. I know that the Lord, let's just stop right there. How does she know the Lord? She has heard the report of God. She has heard the story. She knows that this people group used to be enslaved in Egypt, the most powerful force on the planet at that time. And by supernatural, miraculous ability, they've been set free. That's amazing. She also knows they've crossed the Jordan pretty recently. That's also not a small task for an entire people group to cross a river with no crossing. And now from their amazing structure of walls, which she lives in, they can see the glow of campfires in the distance. Here come the people of God. I wonder how the rumor mill has gotten through the city. Their God delivers them. Their God sets captives free. Their God can do, can, can break through the laws of nature to create supernatural opportunities for his people. And here's Rahab living among a people as the least of these going, what about a God like that? What could a God like that do for me? I know the Lord has given this land to you and their great fear has fallen on us so that all that live in the country, I like this, are melting in fear because of you. (laughs) I just made a note here. Rahab showed more faith in this one moment than God's people had shown for 40 years wandering in the desert. I'm just saying. (laughs) For 40 years, they had wandered around melting in fear at what God had called them to do and had finally stepped forward in faith. And she in one moment just demonstrated that, what faith looks like. We have heard, verse 10, how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did in Sio and Og and the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan who you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord, your God, is God in heaven above and on the earth below. She says, your God is not just a God that hangs out in heaven and is impartial. Come on now. Your God is a God who gets involved in the affairs of his people because he cares. Now then, verse 12, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness. You show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, of my mother, of my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. I love this. I love this picture of her in this moment 
saying, I recognize, I recognize that there's a God who gets involved in the affairs of people. And I've seen the kindness that you've demonstrated. And I'm returning that kindness now to you. And can you put in a good word for me with your boss, with your God? Is that a thing you can do and show kindness back to me? And while I'm at it, would you show kindness to my family and my loved ones as well? How often is that just our prayer? God, would you just show your favor and kindness? Would you do that for our loved ones? I think sometimes the dynamics of Rahab's family are just unfathomable. (laughs) To have lived the life that she lived and still intercede for her family is pretty amazing and pretty incredible. To realize that you don't get to the place where you're Rahab the harlot if you have the covering of your father and your family. You don't get to the place where that's your profession if you have the support of a family around you to protect you from those things. You don't get to that place. But in the midst of her lowest moment, when hope shows up, her heart is, hey, could you do this here on earth for me? And would you do this for my family? That's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. I was also struck by what an absolute diversion from her old life this has now become. Her story is changing, and she has a chance at redemption. (laughs) I was thinking about how often we have these kind of moments where we have an opportunity to risk for God. But there's risk involved. We have an opportunity to take a step of faith for God and we evaluate our current situation. This is a woman who has made the best out of a horrific situation. Her entrepreneurial skills, she has an in, she's got a flax business. I mean, she has something to lose. And sometimes in our lives, we do the same kind of evaluation. When opportunities to follow God, to step out in faith arrive, we go, hey, we just got too much to lose. I just don't know if I can take that step of faith right now. I don't know if I can take that risk. I'm not sure that that's the best choice right now on paper as I look at the math. And here's God saying, man, what I have for you is so much better. I can think of times sitting down with with men who have had career situations go catastrophically wrong and watch the devastation feeling in their face and in their countenances they're just like I don't it's like almost everything that they held a value in their hearts and lives were connected to this position that they had somehow achieved and they've missed in all of that that there's a God who's still in control and taking people back to that story that you know what the God of the universe who gave you this package of skill sets to accomplish what you've accomplished so far has still got this thing covered for you. So here's Rahab's decision. Yeah, she's got this skill set, but she doesn't have the blessing and the favor of God. (laughs) This story gets even more and more amazing. Verse 14 They make a deal with her. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. This is a really big deal because the Lord has instructed his people, you're gonna go in and inhabit the land and you're gonna wipe folks out. 
You can't leave any of the stuff that's there there because I am creating a distinct people group and you can't intermingle with these other cultures at this time because if you do, it will too much diffuse what I'm trying to accomplish in you. So this is an epic ask. This isn't a small ask. This is a, is there a way you can show kindness in the midst of all of this? And they say, yeah, we'll do that. Verse 15, so she let them down by a rope. She was a hemp worker. Rope was easy for her to get through the window. For the house she lived in, catch this, I never caught this before, I mentioned it, was part of the city wall. Now she said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you and hide yourselves for three days until they return and then go on your way. Now listen, this is crazy to even just think about. No one talks about this miracle in the scripture. No one, because I looked and I couldn't find it anywhere. She lives in the wall. The spy's plan is for her to go to her house, put a scarlet uh, marker over it. She, her, in her uh, flax, it's scarlet. And so they can identify her. And then when they come into the town as invading conquerors, that they will spare her. But she lives in the wall. How do they get in the, in the city? The wall collapses. The wall is gone. So not only is she spared, but in this incredible, amazing miracle that happens in the next couple of chapters, when the walls tumble to the earth, she is protected supernaturally by God in her house. That's an amazing miracle. What a favor of the Lord. They say, hey, stay in your house. They don't know when they tell her to stay in the house that the way they're getting in the city is God's going to topple the walls. Right? Otherwise, I'm sure they would say, go to your dad's house or go to your uncle's house, all right? They tell her to stay in the wall. And God's like, ah, here we go. One extra miracle, I got this, right? No, I'm just saying. We never talk about this incredible miracle that she's protected even though she lives in the walls that tumble down. It's pretty amazing. The rest of the story is just continued more and more amazing. The spies get away. They march around the city. They shout at the top of their lungs. The walls fall down, except for Rahab's wall somehow, which is amazing. Um, you jump to Joshua chapter 6 and kind of the wrap-up of this particular piece of the story, verse 24. They've invaded the city, and it says that the Israelites, are, they're doing this. It says they burn the whole city and everything in it. They put the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and irony and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute, there she is, with her family and all who belonged to her because she had hid the men that Joshua had spent, sent as spies to Jericho. Listen to this. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Here's what's huge about that. She got grafted in. She's, a, she's like the first one we know to get grafted into the family of God. How cool is that? What grafted her in? Her faith. God is in the redeeming business. This is a woman of no repute. This is a woman who, who everyone would have thought the same way about, yet God grafts her into the family. That is amazing. Let's fast forward to Hebrews chapter 11. We don't hear about Rahab too much after this, but we do hear about her a couple of key places. Hebrews uh, chapter 11. The hall of faith. If you know anything about Hebrews chapter 11, it's all the superheroes of the Bible. All the folks that had ginormous faith. And look who's included in there. By faith, 
the prostitute Rahab. She can't get rid of that name, by the way. She just can't. It's brutal. The author of Hebrews has no chill. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. I just want you to catch this. This is thousands of years later in the story of God's people. The author of Hebrews is saying, hey, I want you to catch this unique attribute of faith. After Rahab, the, the, the rest of the heroes are just kind of rattled off one by one. He starts and walks through uh, massive important heroes. He starts with um, Enoch. He starts with all of these guys that are just incredibly important. And he, he's, he makes sure to say, by faith, this guy, by faith, this guy. There's only one other woman in the list of heroes of faith, and it's Sarah, Abraham, Sarah. And she's not referred to as Sarah, a prostitute. Trust me. That wasn't her story. Of the two women included in the hall of faith in this moment, you got one of them is Rahab for this moment that we just walked through. See, God's in the redeeming business. In one moment, one decision changed the course of her history, changed the narrative of her story, and she became in the hall of faith. In James, James chapter two, James is the, Faith has to have actions with it, guy. We talk about that all the time. James chapter two, verse 25. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute. James with no chill again. Come on. Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. James says, hey, you gotta understand that she activated her faith. She didn't just mentally make a decision. She activated her faith. That's epic. We're thousands of years later. We're post Jesus and the resurrection later. And we're looking back at this woman. That's incredible. But her story's better than that. Her story's bigger than that. Put your seatbelt on. It's going to get real amazing. You see, We just read that she lived among the Israelites to this day. We just read that she was integrated into the life and culture of this people. What we don't realize is she got married to somebody. This is Rahab the prostitute. But she wasn't the prostitute to these guys. We knew she was good looking, so someone snagged her. But it wasn't just anybody. It was a guy named Salmon. Like the fish. Now, Salmon's important. We don't know his story very well, but here's what we do know about him. We know he was from the tribe of Judah. We know that he was one of the leaders. In fact, at this time in Joshua, he was like the prince. He was number two in the tribe of Judah, in the family of Judah. That means he's the guy who would have wore the lion pelt to battle to represent the tribe of the lion. He was a big dog. We know he was highly influential in the, in the building of the city of Bethlehem. He was not just somebody. He was somebody. He was Salmon. He was one of the leaders in the tribe of Judah. And he married Rahab. Talk about changing your story. Who was going to marry Rahab in Jericho? Nobody was lining up to align themselves with her that way. But here's Salmon, and he marries her. We see his story a little bit in Chronicles, but it pops up again in Matthew. 
And I just, I can't, I got to open my, I can't, this is too good. Because you're not going to believe me if I don't read all these names. Because Matthew opens with what could potentially be the most boring chapter in the scriptures. A genealogy. Everyone go, yes, yes, we love genealogies. They're awesome. So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so, and they had kids with so-and-so. But Matthew opens the first book of the New Testament, the introduction to the story of God and the coming of the Messiah is the book of Matthew. And we see some names in here. I'm going to start in verse 4. No, I'm going to start in verse 3. But then I'll put verse 5 up there because you'll blow your mind. Verse 3, Judah. We know who Judah is, right? The lion, the tribe of Judah. He was the father of Perez and Zerah, and their mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. And Salmon was the father of Boaz. You've heard that name before. You've seen funny internet memes making fun of his name. (laughs) Salmon was the father of Boaz, but look who Boaz's mom is. Rahab. Boaz is going to be the kinsman redeemer who claims Ruth. We're going to meet Ruth in a couple weeks. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Why is Jesse important? Because Jesse was the father of King David. And David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now let's jump to the end of this story, because now all of a sudden, she's the great-great-grandmother of King David. But that's not the end of her story. Verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, who's called the Messiah. Rahab is in the lineage, the story of Jesus. She's a genetic link in the chain to get us to Jesus. Rahab, the harlot. Some of you are like, I can't get my head around. Rahab, the liar. Rahab, what you call it, whatever you want. Here's what I hope you hear. God is in the redeeming business. Your story can change in a moment. Your story can change in an instant with a decision, with a choice in one moment. God's in the redemption business. I'm going to have the elders come up and we're in just a moment going to take communion. And we're going to close in just a moment, but I, I just, I need you to hear this. An epic decision to trust God, literally put her in the genealogy of Jesus. An epic decision to trust God. Where is your epic decision today to trust God? What is the area where you need to trust God? What is the space where it's time to say, I'm gonna step out in faith and trust God? Can we just be honest? Have you been stuck in a pattern of sin? Is there behavior that is just coming around again and 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 again? And it's time to say today is the day that I trust God instead of staying in my pattern of behavior. One choice, one decision away. Have you been on the fence about trusting God at all?
Maybe you're here today, someone drug you, promised you lunch, awesome. Maybe they said, hey, there'll be good looking people there. Come on, they didn't tell no lie. (laughs) But maybe for you, it's been a while and you've been on this journey and you've been asking questions and the scripture tells us that God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And you've never taken a step of belief. Rahab made one immediate decision to trust God. And it changed her life. Maybe for you today, I'm just going to be real. Maybe you've been on the verge of compromise. You haven't compromised yet, but you've been on the verge. You've played with it. It's been up here in your head. You've run through the scenarios. You've been living in a cycle of thinking through options that would take you outside of the will of God. And for you, a heroic moment would be simply to say, I'm not playing with that fire anymore. I'm gonna trust God. I'm gonna stay faithful to what God's called me to be faithful to. God is in the redemption business. It doesn't matter if you've tanked. If you think you've tanked more than Rahab, let's talk doesn't matter if you've had questions. We all have questions. doesn't matter if you have been dancing around with the ideas that you know you shouldn't pursue. God's in the redemption business. You can be redeemed. 